In this podcast, I'm going to have a look at climate change. I'm going to do a short introduction to climate change and then I'm going to have a look at past climatic changes and how we investigate past climate change and the causes of that climate change. Climate change is a planetary threat. It will, over the next few decades, displace tens of millions of people, disrupting agriculture on which the world's population relies. It will desiccate vast tracts of land and diminish water resources for many. Hundreds of millions of people in other regions will suffer floods, inundation. Climate change may provide some opportunities, at least in the near term. For example, it might make it possible to extract vast mineral wealth uh, from Greenland, areas which are currently overlain by ice sheets. But the longer we take to collectively curb CO2 emissions, the greater the danger and increased risk of some truly catastrophic and unforeseen circumstances. Climate change is not just an environmental problem, and not one that can be solved just by activists and the motivated. Changes in the lives of those who do not care or understand the dangers is required. Climate change, therefore, is ever a matter for governments and international cooperation. It should pervade all government departments and not be hived off to a few ministers responsible for the environment. Climate change is not a problem that can be put off for a few decades. It is already making extreme events like catastrophic floods, wildfires, as well as large Category 5 hurricanes more likely. We can already see where glaciers have retreated and coral reefs have been bleached. Any further delay means that the world will suffer more harm and face a vastly more costly rush to make up for lost time. With technological improvements and a lot of investment, it is possible to produce electricity grids that need no carbon dioxide emitting power stations. Road transport can be electrified, although long-haul shipping and air travel may be harder to mitigate. Industrial processes can be retooled, and those that must emit greenhouse gases can be obliged to capture them. Recent decades of record-breaking extremes in the British weather, including the drought of 1976, harsh winter of 1978-9, hot summers of 1989 and 2018, mild winter of uh, January-February 2019, and our wettest ever month in December 2015, has stimulated public interest in the whole question of climate change. The UK has been prone to more heatwaves, storms and floods in recent decades. The Met Office put these increases down to climate change. The more extreme climatic disasters such as hurricanes, droughts and serious flooding have captured the attention of the general public, anxious for explanations. Although there isn't as yet a clear indication of an increased incidence of hurricanes, 
There have, however, been more Category 4 and Category 5 hurricanes in recent decades. They are more destructive, more intense, and many scientists put this down to increased sea temperatures in the tropics. On average, between 2000 and 2017, 30,000 people lost their lives annually from one of the following floods, storms, drought, extreme temperatures and wildfires. And 187 million people annually are affected by extreme weather events. There is a wide variety of evidence which tells us that activity in the Earth atmosphere system has changed over the centuries. Many of these changes have left their mark in the landscape. There's a wide variety of techniques which can be used to investigate past climatic change. Pollen analysis, dendrochronology and isotope analysis, both ocean floor analysis and ice core analysis, are the most widely used. Pollen analysis is concerned with examining the pollen found in sediments, particularly peat bogs, which preserve the pollen grains for a long time. This analysis can identify the past vegetation of an area and hence indicate past climates, because many plant species have particular climatic requirements. This form of analysis is particularly useful in detecting the climatic changes since the last glaciation, which ended about 10,300 years ago. The rapid rise in temperature between 10,000 before present and 8,000 years ago before present is particularly striking. Dendrochronology is the study of growth rings in cross-sections of tree trunks. Thick rings indicate a favourable climate and thin rings indicate poor conditions. Each ring represents one year's growth. To obtain an accurate climatic reconstruction using this method, cores are taken from a number of trees and their rings cross-matched to enable rings to be dated. Samples of timber are not restricted to living trees, and by using old timbers or tree stumps buried in peat, the record can extend back many centuries. In California, some bristlecone pines, which are over 4,000 years old, have been used for this sort of analysis. A reconstructed climatic record for the British Isles using oak timbers can produce a past climate going back from around 400 AD to the present. Isotope analysis in climate studies has concentrated on the examination of oxygen isotope ratios. The two main isotopes of oxygen are O16 and O18. They occur in water, ice and water vapour, but they move through the hydrological cycle very differently. The difference in their behaviour is related to their weight. O16, being slightly lighter, passes into water vapour stage more easily. This results in the remaining water being enriched in O18. Condensation reverses this process and restores the balance. However, during cold periods, more precipitation is locked up in ice sheets and the return flow is diminished. The colder the climate is, the greater the O18 concentration in seawater. Isotope ratios can therefore indicate temperature. 
ice core analysis measures the oxygen isotopes in the polar ice sheets where snow has accumulated over thousands of years. These ice cores are in effect a record of past precipitation and the relative abundance of O18 indicates the temperature of the time. Abundant O18 indicating warm conditions and vice versa. Ocean floor sediment analysis is another isotopic method of gaining information about past climates. The remnants of tiny organisms are buried in sediment. Their skeletons contain O16 and O18. The relative proportions of these indicate the temperature of the seawater at that time. Higher ratios of O18 to O16 indicate warmer temperatures. What are the reasons for past climatic change? Well, astronomical theories for climatic change enjoy wide scientific support. These theories regard the amount and distribution of insulation from the sun as the main factor controlling climate, on the grounds that it drives atmospheric circulation. The idea of built-in climate change in the Earth atmosphere system was first proposed by a Scot, James Kroll, in 1860. And a Yugoslavian astrophysicist, Milankovic, reintroduced this theory in the 1930s. The fact that the shape of the Earth orbit around the Sun, the angle of tilt of the Earth, and the time of year when the Earth is closest to the Sun change through time in very well-defined cycles, led Milankovic to argue that when the lowest phases of insulation in all three cycles combine, glaciations would occur. His predictions for past ice ages have received some support from ocean floor sediment analysis since the 1930s. Despite the accuracy of his predictions, Milankovic's theories do not offer a full enough explanation to satisfy all scientists. There are other factors which influence climatic changes, such as continental drift or plate tectonics, volcanic emissions, and of most recent significance, human activity. Recent work on a link between carbon dioxide levels and the astronomical cycles has given Milankovic's theory added strength. Periods of glaciation which Milankovic was able to predict so closely are examples of climatic change on a massive scale. But smaller scale changes on shorter timescales are also highly significant. There is considerable historical evidence to support significant climatic changes over the last 10,000 years. The evidence from historical sources can also be checked and confirmed by pollen analysis and dendrochronology. All evidence points to a gradual warming after the last ice age around 10,000 years ago. Until around 5000 BC, with occasional reversions to colder conditions. From 5000 BC to 3000 BC, conditions in Northern Europe were warmer than today and mild all year round. Since about 2000 BC, temperatures have been in general decline, although there have been some interruptions of very warm conditions. 
the climatic worsening which started round about 1300 AD resulted in many medieval villages being abandoned. The very cold period between 1550 and 1750 is known as the Little Ice Age, when glaciers in northern Europe started to advance and the River Thames froze over frequently. After 1800, the climate warmed until about 1945, after which temperatures dipped slightly until the 1970s. The increase in air temperature since the early 1970s and the very variable weather we experienced really since the 1980s may have more to do with the impact of human activity on climate rather than natural rhythms. There are other earthbound theories of climate change which have been suggested. One of these proposes that periods of volcanic activity trigger off cold periods because volcanic dust and sulphur dioxide blown into the atmosphere reduce insulation by scattering solar insulation. Some large individual volcanic eruptions in the past few thousand years have had a significant impact on climate at local, regional and global scales. Evidence for this effect is found in historical sources and confirmed by pollen analysis and dendrochronology. Some scientists now believe that the cooling between 1945 and 1970 was due to atomic bomb testing and a large volcanic eruption in 1963 at Mount Agung in Indonesia. An eruption of the Icelandic volcano Hekla in about 1159 BC appears to have caused significant deterioration of the weather in much of northern Europe. One result was the abandonment of the highlands of Scotland by its Bronze Age population, which was estimated to have been as large as 600,000. Yeah, really quite large when it's only round about 200,000 today. There are numerous examples of ancient civilizations collapsing because they weren't able to adapt to the changing climatic conditions they encountered. For example, the Mayans of Central America, the Akkadian Empire of ancient Mesopotamia, and the Khmer regime of Southeast Asia. Archaeologists very rarely find any evidence that these societies made any significant attempts to change in the face of climatic challenge. This inflexibility is the ultimate reason for collapse. In the 21st century, the choice is clear. Adapt or face an uncertain future. The largest volcanic eruption at Tambora in the Pacific in 1815 resulted in poor weather throughout Europe in 1816. It became known as the year without a summer and inspired Byron's poem Darkness and Mary Shelley's story Frankenstein. However, not all volcanic eruptions have a significant effect on climate. The Mount St. Helens eruption on the 18th of June 1980 did not appear to cause a widespread climatic effect, probably because the eruption was largely a lateral one and very little of its dust and sulphur dioxide reached high into the atmosphere. It had no detectable global climate impacts. If large high-latitude eruptions inject sulphur into the stratosphere, they will have an effect only in the hemisphere where they have occurred. 
and the effect will probably only last a year or so at most. A stratospheric cloud that they produce only has a lifetime of a few months. Explosive volcanic eruptions are a major cause of natural temperature reductions on a short-term scale of less than 10 years. Large volcanic eruptions affect the climate by injecting sulphur dioxide gas into the upper atmosphere, which reacts with water to form clouds of sulfuric acid droplets. These clouds reflect the sunlight back into space, preventing its energy from reaching the Earth's surface, thus cooling it. These upper atmospheric sulfuric acid clouds locally absorb energy from the sun. Globally, eruptions also reduce precipitation because the reduced incoming radiation at the surface is compensated by a reduction in evaporation and hence rainfall. Most important volcanic events are large tropical and subtropical eruptions that inject substantial amounts of SO2 directly into the stratosphere, typically reducing global temperatures for a year or so. In terms of surface cooling, the 1991 Mount Punatubo eruption in the Philippines injected about 20 million tonnes of sulphur dioxide into the stratosphere, cooling the earth by up to about half a degree for a year. It was one of the largest eruptions in recent times with a return period of about three times per century, but was dwarfed really by the Tambora eruption in 1815. Volcanic clouds remain in the stratosphere for only a couple of years, so their impact on climate is correspondingly short. But the impact of several consecutive large eruptions can last longer. For example, at the end of the 13th century, there were four Large eruptions, one every 10 years, the first in 1258, was the largest in a thousand years. That sequence of eruptions cooled the North Atlantic Ocean and Arctic sea ice increased. Another theory of climatic change is based on possible shifts in Rossby waves, which could cause a redistribution of temperature along lines of latitude without causing a fall in the actual average temperature. This, under certain conditions, could cause an increase in snowfall to the point where a glaciation would proceed. A change in the path of Rossby waves can, under certain conditions, cause areas of high pressure to remain almost stationary for days or weeks. The type of extreme condition this creates depends on the position of the blocking high pressure. During 1982, a blocking high pressure over Southeast Asia caused a severe drought by deflecting the rain-bearing depressions. Climate change became more of a concern from the 1980s, with extreme weather conditions being apparently commonplace. Turning now to look at another influence on global climate, the El Nino Southern Oscillation sometimes called the ENSO. It is a large-scale ocean-atmosphere system which is associated with strong fluctuations in ocean currents and surface temperatures. It has long been known as one of the best understood regional climatic influences, which is so significant regionally that it can exert a small influence globally.
it causes periodic atmospheric and environmental changes in the equatorial zone of the Pacific Basin. The ENSO is a major example of how ocean currents and atmospheric conditions are connected. Fishermen off the coast of Peru noticed a phenomenon where the coastal waters near Peru were abnormally warm in some years and this seemed to cause poor fishing catches. This would generally occur around the Christmas season, so its occurrence became known as the El Nino, meaning little boy or Christ child. Today, the term is synonymous with the event of unusually warm ocean surface temperatures in this region. La Nina is Spanish for the little girl and refers to abnormal cold ocean surface temperatures in the equatorial Pacific. The ocean temperature change is strongest in a zone of about 10 degrees latitude either side of the equator. This temperature change affects the regional energy balance, disrupting the atmospheric circulation and climate of much of the low latitude zone, with effects extending into middle latitudes during particularly warm or particularly cold events. The atmospheric component the southern oscillation is about pressure changes and impact on regional winds caused by these temperature changes. During a warm ocean event, sea level pressure drops in the eastern Pacific and rises in the west. This weakens the easterly trade winds as the walker cell moves eastwards. This can result in drought over Australia and parts of Southeast Asia. South America may experience heavy rains along the coast of Peru and Ecuador, which are adjacent to warmer ocean water. The changes in regional pressure belts could even weaken the Indian monsoon. The warm waters of the Pacific pool eastwards, warming the surface of the ocean and forcing the cold water deeper near the coast of South America. The boundary between the warm and cold water, the thermocline, therefore deepens. The effect of these warm and cold events lasts about a year, and the switch between El Nino and La Nina conditions occur every four to seven years. The last El Nino event was in 2015-16. The January to March 2016 temperature anomaly was plus 0.87 of a degree Celsius above the 1981 to 2010 average, which was enough to make 2016 the warmest year so far in the 21st century. Therefore, at a global scale, the change in tropical temperatures is sufficient to affect the global mean temperature, creating a rise and fall of a few tenths of a degree Celsius every few years. The El Nino Southern Oscillation phenomenon is an important cause of annual climate extremes in the subtropics and tropics. For many of the world's population, El Nino and La Nina are ever-present and tangible threats to livelihoods and well-being. None of the above theories or occurrences answers all of the questions about global climate change 
or can conclusively account for the glaciations and other long-term climate events. Whatever the causes, one thing is clear, and that is extreme variability in climate is possible in any direction. Some astronomical factors seem to be pointing towards a global cooling, while others are indicating global warming. However, presently, human activity on the scale at the moment is very capable of promoting significant climate warming, whether it's in nature's direction or against it has yet to be seen. But the rise in temperature since the 1980s seems to be accelerating, and this is a concern for many, not just in the most vulnerable areas of the world. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want details of my other podcasts, you can get them at my website, www.richiecunningham.com, or you can access them through my Facebook group, Geography Expert. Thank you and goodbye.